Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Coach here. Today's subject is going to be about uh, retaining wall and hillside plantings. The challenges and choices in that particular landscape genre. You know, maybe you've uh, bought a home or built a home and in this new slice of heaven that you've uh, embarked on, you have an existing retaining wall, a hillside or slope that needs attention for one reason or another. Maybe it is uh, littered right now with inappropriate plantings, weeds, uh, bramble, who knows. Maybe it is unstable and needs plantings. Uh, maybe the wall is weakened and is actually threatening to fall down, which I have read about recently. Many of these circumstances are present in tens of thousands of landscapes throughout the country and around the globe. It's not that uncommon to have retaining walls fail after a long time, depending on their construction and depending on one other element that we will talk about today. Speaking of talking about today, this is what our topic is. Hillside plantings, landscaping, and retaining walls. The joys of dealing with slopes, hillsides, and our landscapes. I am glad you are here, maestro. Put your damn mask on and let get us underway, please. Hey, I'm Matt and you can call me Coach. Every week I bring to you landscape tips and tricks, design concepts and theories in a very hopefully easy to understand format so you can tackle projects yourself, get the professional results you want, be a heck of a lot more self-reliant in this day and age, and save a boatload of money in the process. You know, after a 20 plus year career as a successful self-employed landscape designer and contractor, retail nursery manager, and educated in ornamental horticulture. I bring with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I want to share with you, the modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. You know, my first home in lovely Hayward, California, was a, a blessing and a nightmare, all wrapped into a steep, overgrown mess that called upon all my patience and skill that I had at the ripe old age of 24. Uh, the front yard was sloped, yes, but somewhat manageable. But the backyard, holy crap. It had about 20 feet of manageable slope with a flat patio and then it went up just about 30 degrees up it had been terraced uh, with kind of a an elaborate albeit narrow poured concrete serpentine retaining wall or walls actually there was three terraces in that that yard and then a small flat patio pad way up at the top of the hill with a dilapidated patio enclosure on top of it now I found this, all this stuff, the retaining walls, after clearing out all the overgrown bushes, trees, volunteer, oh, that Texas privet, my God, I hate Texas privet. Those were cleared out, two big palm trees, and if you've never taken out a palm tree, it is just a nightmare. But it took me over three months to achieve this demolition part of the, the project. And it took so long because uh, I wasn't a full-time contractor then and I had a brand new baby in the house and work and life in general, so 90 days to clean this mess all up. I have mentioned uh, drainage issues at this house that I discovered the first winter I was there, and if you're over on the YouTube channel, check out the, the drainage video because I, I address that in quite detail. That was quite a mess that required uh, 
some immediate attention when it started raining. Then the retaining wall was uh, literally rebuilt over about a 10 foot section. That retaining wall was a whopping six inches wide. Six inches wide and 24 inches, 18 of that above ground. And that was, gosh lord, with a very flimsy plywood form and everything. That was, that uh, tested my metal. I had not done that before, but I muddled through it. And so guys, after about 12 months or so, I had beaten that yard up enough to know that all the bruises and cuts and bleeding that it doled out to me, yeah, I finally caught up and it was worth it at the end of it. I actually had a nice usable landscape again. Now, fast forward to the present. For you guys needing to install uh, some form of retention or retaining wall, the skill set that is required here, it can be easily easily attained but mostly learned with practice by small scale practice and watching YouTube and reading. Basically, in a nutshell, it is all about the base layer. The base layer that you, you, know, you create uh, like a foundation of a house. Got a lousy foundation? You're going to have a lousy house. So the base layer of a block or concrete, wood, all that base layer has to be done level, compacted, set correctly, string line leveled, and then get that base layer in, tamped and set, and then from that point on, going up from there, it comes together uh, rather quickly. It's all just based on that single layer of when you're stacking just about anything. If you're stacking a, a loose stack rock wall, if you're stacking a, a stackable geometric block wall, those things, those things is what I kind of tended to follow when I was practicing. They were the easiest. Uh, it did require some digging. The trench that you have to do with a stack block wall is generally about eight inches, sometimes 12 inches deep and then compacted gravel into it, and then you set your first course of that block wall. And generally, it is submerged in the, in the trench about two-thirds minimum, two-thirds of the first course. If you get my meaning, you have a trench full of compacted gravel, then you have your block set on top of it, and it is, every single block is leveled side to side and front to back, so it's just perfectly flat, and then once you get that, you can backfill in around it, and then the trench that is still, the block is still sitting in the trench, is, is part of the retention as well. So the actual hillside and trench is holding that block, and then you can come back in and start your, start your wall vertically from that point. You know, I, I have to admit, I've never built huge retaining walls, you know, like what you've seen out on freeways and, and some places like that. That just wasn't my niche. I, I generally built retaining walls that were about four feet high or under. And I did do one that went across the whole expanse of one front yard. And on the channel, you'll see, uh, you'll see a picture of that wall. Depending on your landscape situation, you may, build it. You, you, know, you may be building more than one wall to terrace the entire length of your slope. Maybe you'll be putting in a wall down at the bottom of the hill to start the retention. And then maybe every 15, 15 feet, plus or minus, going up from there. Uh, you may be putting in another one. It may be on one side of the hill and another wall on the other side of the hill, and you may have some staggered steps going up between the two, three, four, five terraces, 
and you can really create a really nice landscape and a usable landscape. It just takes some sweat equity. That's basically what it boils down to. So one of the things I really want to address and is super important, probably the number two in importance for building retaining walls, and that is drainage. Drainage that has to be installed correctly and placed at the base of each wall. If you have a four foot wall, even if you had a three foot wall, I would have some form of drainage at the base of that wall in the form of a uh, perforated drain line covered in gravel and wrapped in landscape fabric and then you can backfill your soil after that but don't just leave it just dirt uh, i strongly suggest you don't do that unless you have a very very mild slope you're dealing with now one exception to that would be a mild slope and all you're using is massive landscape boulders you can dig those into the earth a little bit and then abut them up against each other and use them for your single course of your retaining wall maybe they're 24 inches by 24 inches say and you can put those together because they won't have a solid water retention ability water is going to be able to percolate out through the the gaps in a boulder wall so but that is on that only really applies to those mild slopes if you have 20 degrees or more i would still put a drain line in behind those as well oh let's see hey backfilling you know once you start backfilling you've got your drain thing in there you're backfilling these layers it is really important you'll probably be using some of the native soil that you've excavated out and you're putting it uphill initially and now you're pulling it back down against your wall i would really i would really urge you to use imported soils too and mix it with the native soil that will that will really make the plantability and grow ability much more successful. And then like we've already done our drainage installation, we wanna make sure that the imported or native soil we put back in there, we compact down a little bit. And if you're using 100% native soil, there's nothing wrong with that, but I would introduce some organic amendment and when you're all done, maybe till it a little bit and then compact it down. Now, if you got steps and stairs, steps and stairs are a bit of a challenge, but they can be placed, you know, very easily. You just have to do a little bit of math using the old rise and run methods. You know, you measure the, the height of your slope from the bottom of your project to the top of your project and then what that length is and you can generally look at about this isn't a stairway going from your living room to your bedrooms in your house this is a, a landscape so you can you can do 10 inch rises and then the runs uh, between each rise can be a couple of feet three feet maybe if you can get that much and then another 10 inch rise that that would that would work there would be no problems doing that and you can use you can use uh, leftover block you can use uh, flagstone you can use bluestone whatever you might have available to you in the area that you live in that's the easiest way chop those steps into the hillside and then create a uh, a flat area put your block or your stone up against the the step part and and just excavate it out i've uh, i've found a lot of pictures for you to look at as we're going through this podcast uh, but that doesn't do much good on the podcast so check out the channel when you get a chance a lot of a lot of picture information that's going on over there this week so yard coach on youtube so moving forward what about irrigation I am a strong, strong purveyor of drip irrigation. I do not like using spray irrigation for hillsides. 
Number one, you have, unless you're going downhill, you'll, you, you'll lose a lot of your pressure pumping water uphill unless you use drip because drip does not require that much pressure. So depending on the size of your project, maybe uh, one or two valves might get the whole thing done. I really like this because for a couple of reasons. One is obvious water conservation. You're not throwing a whole bunch of water on this hillside every time you, you, you water. You're putting that water directly at your plant's needs right at the ground level and then you're mulching over it. Uh, so that direct application of the water just serves that and you're not saturating the whole hillside. And for the ability just to avoid overwatering. When you're using hillside sprays, depending on the time of day or night that you're watering, you're saturating other areas and you really invite germination of other things other than your ornamental or sustainable plants. Let's just uh, fast forward a bit, shall we? Uh, the hillside is retained to whatever degree you've decided to do. You know, you, you put up your block wall, your boulders, your concrete, your stacked, you know, cinder block, whatever you've done. It is all cleaned and weeded and is ready to install your planting plan. And notice that I said planting plan, you know, and just like all the other podcasts and videos that I do here at the channel, plan it out. Just don't willy-nilly it. Do a little due diligence, do a little research on things that really look nice and then execute. I think that hillsides are really a beautiful tapestry for a landscape. They're just naturally tilted right to your eye. You have the whole thing. We're not talking a flat plane. We're talking an inclined slope and those it's just a beautiful way to landscape with the picture or tapestry right in front of you. Now, if you're having a downhill slope and you're doing it, then you have a bird's eye view looking down on it, which is also a very unique angle on which to enjoy a landscape. Choosing the hillside plantings is uh, based on a couple of criteria. The first one, you know, if you're going ornamental here, the first one is stabilization. A good planting plan with ground covers and shrubs and small trees and whatnot with the root systems and everything, you're going to really stabilize those terraced hillsides rather quickly. Second would be uh, height and the correct placement of height throughout the hillside. You can have really a staggered type of small trees throughout the hillside and then you can have uh, understory plantings and then understory understory. You do perennials and ground covers and annual color if you choose to. And third would be the environment in which you have the landscape in. You out in the desert, you, uh, you way up north, you down south, so it all boils down to planting is local, right? So check out check out some of the, the nurseries in your area. Make friends with one of the, the local nursery people there, the knowledgeable ones, and say, hey, this is what I've done, and show them a picture on your phone and I'm gonna be landscaping this and I need, uh, I need your help on some uh, good selections and tell them what this landscape is gonna be used for. Is it gonna be ornamental or a mixture of ornamental and sustainables with some fruit trees and veggies, etc. I think ground covers are a good stabilizing plant, but use caution in your selection. You know, ground covers, there's some like uh, Hans or uh, Algerian ivy, oh my god, please guys, stay away from that stuff unless you plan on being out there and monitoring it all the freaking time. That stuff can just take over a landscape and I do not suggest it. I do not suggest any form of bamboo 
including clumping. I think that uh, people's tastes change over time. Also, if you resell the property, bamboo can scare a lot of people off. Selections that I have used, you know, check these out if you want to take a, take a note or just play it over and over or whatever. I'll also have it up on, uh, up on the channel uh, later today. But here's some of the ground cover selections that I've used in the hillside terracings and stuff that I've done over my career. One would be uh, Lysomachia or Creeping Jenny. I really like the, the green one is fine, but I kind of like the chartreuse one. Blooming African Daisy, both clumping and trailing. Myoporum parvifolium. It's, uh, it's a very fast growing uh, ground cover. I like to let it run au naturel and try to plant it in a, in a way that is not going to overcrowd it where you're going to need to clip it because as soon as you clip it, it wants to mound up. It really does. And I, I don't like it getting tall. I like it staying at ground level. Trailing gazania is another one. Emerald carpet manzanita, a hardy one for especially those uh, mountainous areas. Creeping rosemary, uh, trailing or prostrate type of junipers like a Wiltoni or a buffalo blue juniper and creeping sedums. There's all kinds of one that's super hardy almost everywhere is dragon blood. It's kind of a deciduous type of sedum so it can be frozen to the ground but then it'll come back the following year. Those are some of the ones that I've that I've used over the years. I also like using uh, small scale trees like if the environment calls and it works Try Japanese maples, small scale, good fibrous root system, and a lot of, a lot of character. Crepe myrtles, also. Some people say they don't like them, but man, I'm, I'm a big fan of crepe myrtles. I really am. I've used them, I've used them a lot. And although I don't butcher them every winter, I do do some decorative pruning on them, and I think they stay really, really nice. I love the fall color, and as long as you don't have a lot of flower drop all over cement and stuff, the flowers can sometimes stain cement. In this case, I think it'd be a perfect thing for a hillside. Uh, some of the flowering viburnums, uh, multi-trunk snowball bush and stuff like that, fruitless olives, great one for out west. One of my favorite birches, a dampened down a uh, much more controllable type of birch called the Giacomonte birch or the Himalayan white birch. In our area and not the Himalayas, they tend to stay much smaller, like the 20 foot level. And then dwarf Alberta spruce, if you like to put a, an alpine look to your hillside landscape. And when it comes to shrubs, many of the landscapes that I've done, I have used things like perennial hibiscus, like the Holy Grail. I did one of those uh, plant of the weeks on that one. Some of the Spanish and French lavender plants. If you like multi-trunk crepe myrtles again, uh, the diamond, uh, the black diamond selection crepe myrtle with its uh, really deep burgundy, almost purple leaves. And then the usual crepe myrtles, such a beautiful contrasting colors there. And then it does get some fall color. Uh, some of the mock oranges like cream de mint or the new one, I think it's called golf ball. Some of the upright sedums also look nice. Ionium and some of the other ones. Even some of the exotics, like I did a couple in the Bay Area when I first got started, we used things like uh, Parida Madeira, Formium, you know, also known as New Zealand flax. The Formium looks really nice. You can use some of the smaller ones like Yellow Wave, really, really nice. And then one that I used a whole bunch intermixed with all this stuff was uh, ornamental grasses. Just, I used a bunch of ornamental grasses. Dwarf fescues, miscanthus, calamagrostis, all of these guys like Carl Forrester, things like that. Those really work well and a great stabilizer. Now, getting to the heart of my hillside plantings though, that I have done are the perennials. The perennials are what uh, 
kind of, they are the icing on the cake. Those trees and shrubs are the cake. And then the, this is the icing. And I used to love things that would spill over some of the retaining walls and the boulders, things like Swan River, uh, Swan River Daisy, uh, Brachiacomb, Asters, Daylilies, some of the dwarf Agapanthus. There's one, uh, the complete name uh, escapes me, but it's Zebra, because it's a variegated dwarf Agapanthus. Lamb's ear, dwarf azaleas and rhododendrons, dwarf shrub rose, great retainer and stabilizer is the, the dwarf shrub roses. Black-eyed Susans, the uh, rutabecchia varieties, and then some spillers like uh, some annuals like Calabracoa, uh, wave petunia, lobelia, blue star creeper, the isotoma, uh, bronze ajuga, even the jungle bronze, and there's some other ones out there now. They've got some new varieties that are just really dark colored. And some of the, the Serastium uh, snow and summer mixes, which is the gray foliage with white bloom. When I got done and got all the planting in, I always made sure that every plant, even the ground cover, had just a little bit of a water basin around it. So when you did, when you did your irrigation system and you got your emitter at every plant, and you have ground cover areas, that's where I used to use the, the micro sprays to get the ground covers off to a good start. But mulch those plantings, you know, bury that uh, supply lines and the, and the feeder lines, the quarter inch drippers, get those things down and then you bring in a nice layer of mulch around it. And man, you're off to a, you're off to a great start. Uh, one thing I will suggest is after you've got your project complete, if you have heavy rains in the forecast, like where I'm at, where I'm at today, talking to you from the southern part of Mississippi. Man, we got a storm going on outside. We got some heavy rain, some thunder and lightning. We want them to go out there and inspect, especially if you have that drainage going on. Make sure that it's it's working and make sure that you don't have any washings, that you you know that you've compacted everything down. The mulch will hold things in place, but you just want to inspect a little bit. Now let's talk about some luxury items. Let's talk about something that looks really good out on those hillsides, and that is lighting. If you decide to do some lighting, man, up lights on trees and uh, shrubs, even the wall itself can be highlighted with angle lighting and not something you might want to consider is, uh, to, to light up that, that hillside. And it also helps as far as just navigation, you know, stepping up through the, the walkway areas of your hill. You can put some path lights right on either side, you know, spaced out about every 10 or 12 feet. Makes it really nice to get up and down the hill if you wanna show it off there on a warm summer evening. Also, maybe it's maybe a little advanced, but it is what it is. Uh, and that is water features on a hillside. I think that some of the most beautiful naturalized hillside landscapes with retaining walls and stuff involve pondless waterfalls or ponds and waterfalls. You know, with the gravel basin at the base of the hill or the small pond at the base of the hill, and then maybe a 20 or 25 foot stream run coming from the top down. Oh my God, talk about spectacular ambiance and light that thing up at night, you got quite a show place going on then. So, hey, what did you think about hillside landscapes, the challenges and the choices? I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give you a, a look into that. Maybe some of you have that situation you're facing this year or next, and I'd love to talk to you more about it in the comments. 
and email me anytime if you have this topic or any other topic, you can always email me. And so there you go. You know, one thing I do want to do, because I'm starting it this week, I wanted to thank one of our subscribers and one of our followers. His or her name is R.E.W. I don't know who that person is, but they asked to hear something about this. So there you go, Ari, on the channel asking about this topic. I hope you and everybody got some useful information out of this. If you would like a topic discussed here, check out the email below or drop me a comment either here or over on the YouTube channel. I love providing info based on a subscriber's direct needs. You know, instead of me just deciding what to do, someone says that and Ari asked for it and I thought, heck, that's a good topic and here you go. So we're at the end of our podcast today. Check out that 15-step DIY checklist for you landscapers getting off on a project of your own. It's always available here at the email. And then I'll, uh, I'll catch you guys next week. If you don't mind sharing the podcast and let's drive this channel through the roof, shall we? Hey, spring is here. We're close to it for some of y'all. So let's get out there and create. Let's build and grow something, shall we? Hey, my name's Matt. You can call me coach. You guys take care. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Yard Coach. Check out the original videos on YouTube at Yard Coach or email Coach Matt at youryardcoach at gmail.com. And hey, did you get your free 15-step landscaping project checklist? Check out the podcast description below for the link to your free PDF as well as the YouTube channel for more great information for the DIYer in you. See you next week.